Hey, thanks for tuning in into the City Life Church podcast. We are a church in San Francisco and we exist so that people that are far from God, we encounter His presence and experience the life that only Christ offers. We pray that this word will challenge you and encourage you in your walk of faith with Jesus. City Life Church. I'm so excited to be with you today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Elena, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Life. And man, what an incredible, powerful time in God's presence this morning. I especially just love that last song, being able just to exchange what we need for Him. And so right now, this last few weeks, we've been in a series called Complete. And today, I have the privilege of um, going with you into the sixth, uh, the sixth part of this series. And as a church, we're going together um, through, we're walking through the book, The Ten qualities that move you from a believer to a disciple and it's been so much fun if you're part of our small groups would you just write that in the chat with me this morning we see all your faces I see you Teresa and Bibi and Jamie and Nicole and Winton and Victoria and so many of you we're just so thankful that you've joined us on whatever platform you're on today but with your if you're with us on our online platform we just want to shout you out good morning we hear we see you we see your faces we actually don't see your faces but we see your comments so thank you so much for being with us our small group have been so incredible and I've been uh, encouraged myself as I've been reading through this book and in fact honestly more than encouraged I've been challenged and I hope you've been challenged as well this morning I've got some people on the stage with me and we're going to preach together and I'm so excited that in just a couple of weeks for those of you who can and who are able we are opening up our services on Easter and it is going to be incredible to be in the house but don't worry if you're with us online or with your if you're joining with us from around the world or around the country we are not stopping our online community and our online pastor is here to stay and we have a thriving online community and so today as we're joining in online I just am so excited to be able to review a few things that we talked about in the last few weeks in the last few weeks we talked about we started this series out talking about a passionate upward love for Jesus and how that's the basis for everything that we have and then guess what that love for Jesus lights a fire that we can love others on and because we have a love for others what that does is it causes us to want to be about it. It causes us to do something with that. And I love that idea. But guess what? How many of you know that we've tried to love on others and we've tried to be about it? But if we do that in our own strength, we will fail. And so we have the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in and gives us strength and gives us wisdom. And on top of that, we're still not doing it on our own. We have the power of the Word of God, which is the thing that we base our entire life on, our foundation. We read the Word of God as disciples. And so if you put all those things together, that leads us to what we're going to talk about today. And today, if you're with me, we are going to talk about the S word in church. No, not that one. We're going to talk about uh, the, we're going to talk about living morally pure. And another word that the Bible calls for living morally pure is living a life that is without sin. Now, here's the thing. All of us, we all have this in common. Every single one of us, we sin. We just do. And the Bible says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. But guess what? We have this hope in Jesus. In fact, that's why Jesus came, is not to leave us in that place, making us feel like we have to live under the shame of condemnation. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is how the freedom of God and the peace of God, he comes and he covers us, and it's beautiful. And so today, somebody write with me, final say in the comments. If you're with me, the Bible is the final say in our life. That has to be the foundation for what we're talking about today. If you missed last week's Sunday, I would encourage you, or even the last five Sundays, go back and press replay. In fact, binge watch this series because it's that good. So let's pray this morning and the Holy Spirit's already with us, but let's just invite him to be able to hear his voice today. 
Father, we thank you. Even in this place, God, wherever we're at, in our rooms, in our cars, in our bedrooms, Lord, you're with us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you even now, God, to speak to our hearts, to challenge us, to stir us, but more than that, to draw us closer to you this morning. Father, I pray that the words that I speak would be encouraging today. God, use me to speak your words of truth today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, so today is going to be a great Sunday because guess what? We get to talk about how to walk it out, right? There was an old song, let's just walk it out and walk it out. So here's what we're going to do. When we're actually living this real life, when we're actually, when stuff hits the fan, when we have situations with other people, this is when the test actually happens. This is when we find out if all of these things that we believe about the Word of God, all these morals that we say we have, if they actually are truth in our life and if we're walking on those. And so today, if I could leave you with a really quick big idea, maybe write it down somewhere. In fact, they say that writing it down helps your memory. So maybe today, if you have a chance, get out your phone, open up the notes app or get out your old school notebook and write this down. We are choosing to honor God with our lives. And we're going to God when we fail. That's basically, if I could leave you with that today, today we are choosing to honor God with our whole being, everything. In the book that we're reading, The Ten Qualities That Move Us from a Believer to a Disciple, I love this quote that the author says, and it's a little bit wordy, so go with me on it. It says, a disciple is committed to making choices, to actively live a life that makes good decisions that honor God. Come on, isn't that amazing? Actively live a life that honors God. And whenever we fail, a disciple is committed to confess, to repent, and to reorient our lives around the pardon, the purpose, and the presence of God. Now listen, there is something beautiful about us knowing that not only are we not alone, every single one of us, we face we face uh, making a moral decision in our life, and we all fail at making those good moral decisions, really, honestly, if, we're, if we want to be honest about it. And that's kind of what we're talking about today is really being honest with our life, being honest with what's really going on on the inside of our heart, because guess what? God sees it anyway. We can't hide from God. He knows where we're at, but guess what? He loves us right where we're at. He loves you today, even if you're going to Uh, look at some things today and maybe your feet, you know, feel a little bit bruised up by the time I'm done. But listen, that's not what God is actually trying to do. What he's trying to do is draw us closer to him so that we can have relationship with him. So let's look at the Webster's definition of what morally pure actually means. And so I looked it up and moral or morality means a person's standards of behavior or beliefs concerning what is and what is not acceptable for them to do. Now that's not a Christian version. I didn't come straight out of the Bible, but that's just honestly what morality is. Here are a few other words that describe it. Ethical, virtuous, righteous, noble, decent, good, honest, honorable, right-minded. Coming to a standard of principles or conforming to a standard of principles of right or wrong in behavior. Operating by one's conscience or making good moral judgments. And so it's powerful when you have that place to be able to look even just at normal Webster's, Google it, and that's the word that comes up. It's pretty cool because it actually lines up with what the Word of God is asking us to do. And the word pure, it means unmixed with any other matter. It means free from guilt or moral fault, free from what violates, weakens, or pollutes. And so if we take those words into context, what we see is that a disciple can be committed to living morally pure. Why? When we align our behaviors, our thoughts, our emotions to the word of God, and we find ourselves unmixed, right? I mean, how many of us, we realize often that our emotions, our thoughts, they become mixed with whatever the culture is telling us. And so easy for us to sometimes even forget, you know, kind of what we should be basing our lives on. And so today, as we dive into this, we're going to 
see a few things of this biblical word. It's Christianese word called righteousness. But the reality is, all it really is, is what am I living my life by? Am I living my life in a way that would please God? Am I right with God today? And that's the inventory that we're taking today. Am I right with God today? Because a disciple who's really trying to serve God is allowing their life and their attitudes and their motives to be right with God. So here's the thing. Because we all are sinners, we all have this in common. Every single one of us is born with an inward bent towards sin. All of us. We all have an inward bent towards doing the wrong thing. And so maybe you were born that way. Yes, you were. But guess what? Jesus comes. He challenges us. And he gives us wisdom to know how to look into his word. It has the foundation and say this is right or wrong behavior. Again, we're not, ma- we're not basing our morals off of what we think or what culture says. But we're basing it off of what the word of God says. Because listen, that's the final authority. And if that's not the final authority in your life, then it's going to be very difficult for you to walk in the freedom that God God has for us. And so here's this thing as I was thinking about what this is in our life. I was born and raised in Portland. And if you've ever in Portland, Oregon, if any of you have ever been to Portland, you know that it rains a lot in Portland. And um, so one of the things that I found after living here in California for 25 years, I'm finally a California girl living in Oregon. I wanted to be a Cali girl, as we called it. I didn't know, and nobody here called it Cali. But in Oregon, you call it Cali. So I thought it'd be really cool to be a Cali girl. Anyway, I don't know if that's a cowgirl, Cali girl. Anyway, uh, I have had this real hate for rain because I grew up in it. It was raining all the time. I love the sunshine. But how many of you have ever been caught in a rainstorm without an umbrella? So one of the essentials in Portland, I'm just going to use this illustration, go with me, is an umbrella. And today I want to talk about how to live with and under the umbrella of God's grace and his covering and his mercy. Because many times we're caught without an umbrella. We're caught without the covering of God in our life. And it's so important for us when we're looking at the moral values in our life to say, we're not on this journey alone. And we're not in this just to feel condemned all the time. But guess what? We have the covering of God because when the windstorms come, when the rain comes, we don't have to just be completely covered by um, our, our, our guilt and our shame. But God comes today and he gives us a new way out. And so what do you do when it's really downpouring in your life? What do you do when you're faced with all of these things? Because there are times when there's no escaping it, it feels like. And there are times when we feel like we're completely tied in bondage to, the, to those things and to that, that behavior. And what do we do? I'm going to read you some scriptures here that I just love because sometimes we feel like we've got no control over this. But the word of God says that in the uh, power of his Holy Spirit, we do have control. We have the ability to turn to him. So Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Another verse says that he loves us even while we're sinners. This is part of the foundation that we build our lives on, no matter where we're at, no matter where you're starting from today. Maybe you're brand new with this and you just found us online or somebody invited you, or maybe you've been walking in some sort of just shame over the things in your life. Today is your day of freedom. Today is a day where you can be set free because as we look into the word of God, it's like a light and it illuminates things in our life, our moral standards, so that we can come and be right with God. 
Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what God's will is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, God has a perfect plan for your life. He has a will for you, but the way to get there is to come under the covering of his spirit, to come under and not be conformed to what our culture around us tells us is right and wrong, but to be conformed to his spirit and his word. So just like Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed that we be in the world, but not of it. We're, we can't get rid of sin, people. We, we have sin in this world. We're in a sinful world. But Jesus, but Jesus, he's the covering. The Holy Spirit comes and he gives us wisdom. So living a morally pure life, honestly, is aligning our lives with the word of God so that we can come under the umbrella of his mercy and his grace. And I just love that because there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And many times in our conversations, it makes it sound like there's condemnations. The church has done a really good job of making it seem like there's condemnation on our life. But listen, Jesus comes to set us free and we say it wrong sometimes and we speak it wrong, but Jesus comes and he covers and we cover each other. And so as we look into this, I want to share with you a few ways that come, uh, the, the, that we might face, some things that we might face in this journey of trying to live morally pure. The first one is that we are all in a fight. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, are we literally fighting each other? No, we're not. But there's this war going on on the inside of us. And as Christians, this isn't going to go away. Maybe when you came to Jesus, you thought everything would be perfect after that. You thought that you would have no sin anymore and that you would live a perfect life. Listen, our attitudes and our thoughts, we can continually change them to try and be perfect before God. But the truth is, none of us are there. And so, therefore, we're in this fight. To be true disciples, the, uh, the, the book says it this way. To be true disciples, we must fight with the wisdom and the strength of God. His word and the Holy Spirit against our own inward bent towards sin. That sin that's in our life. But we are not alone in this fight. Listen, a true disciple can't be lazy. We cannot be lazy against this fight. We need to understand there's a war in our minds. Uh, Pastor Greg Rochelle just wrote a new book called The War in Your Mind and uh, Fighting the Battle in, in the Mind. And it's powerful. There's so many resources that we can learn as we look into the Word of God, but it's all based on this. The Word of God is like a mirror. We look into it and we're changed, or we look into it and we forget what we looked like. And so it's so important that we move away from what culture says that we need to do. We move away from this idea of you do you. How many of you have heard that? Like you do you. And we find ourselves in this place of we are, we are looking at ourselves for ourselves, for our own purposes. But listen, that will take you down all kinds of paths because you do you on its own is just selfish. Listen, there's nothing wrong with empowerment. There's nothing wrong with growing and, 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 and becoming all that God has for you. But the Bible says that we actually must put to death our own self, our own ways, our own desires. And we need to prefer and allow the truth and the word of God to bring life to us being fully alive in Jesus, which is what we're doing as a church, learning to lean in as a disciple so that we can become fully alive. You do you is not the right message for us all the time. Most of the time, in fact, we need to surrender our minds and our thoughts to the word of God and to the Holy Spirit. And then he comes and he gives us what we need because we're not making up what the definition of morally pure is. The Bible's already done that for us. We as a church, we're not handpicking certain things that are worse than others. No, we just look straight into the word of God and it already tells us. And so 
as we are leaning into Jesus, as we're listening to his spirit, listen, we can't do it without reading the word of God. We can't just pray all day and uh, listen to the Holy Spirit all day. We have to have the word of God as that basis, or we will never know even what is morally pure and what isn't according to God. So listen to this quote, and I love this. Sin starts in the mind, but purity starts in the mind too. Sin starts in the mind, but purity starts in the mind too. And this is the fight that we have. And so what happens next is we have this fight. And if we don't actually fight the fight with the word of God, what happens is we find ourselves in the lure of the world. Even good and, and great things become simple pursuits if we want them more than we want God. Let me say that again. Even good and great things, the things I'm trying to get done in my life, they become simple pursuits or morally impure not necessarily like, oh, that's a bad thing, but it actually draws us away from God. And anything that draws us away from God, anything that draws us away from our personal relationship with him, it causes us to need to reevaluate our motives and our attitudes. Because that's what we're really talking about here is our motives and our attitudes. It's not just the common things that we would naturally lift, list off as sins. If you've watched any kind of TV show or a movie where they put Christianity up, they'll list 100 sins for you. It's not hard to, to, in this culture, usually know what the Bible says as sin. But truthfully, where it all starts is what's going on on the inside of our hearts. So when we talk about being morally pure, it's not just what you do. It's who you are. You first have to be a disciple before you can do the things a disciple needs to do. You first need to let it work in your heart and in your soul. It needs to be inside of you or else you'll never be able to walk it out. But today there's hope. You can walk this thing out. So this lure, it, there's a couple things I just want to give you real quickly that I think and the, uh, the book that we're reading, it points out. The first thing that we need to look out for is pride. And that is the things that we love ourselves more than we love God. And we just talked about that. The next one is self-righteousness. Man, growing up in the church, it's so easy for us to think of ourselves as better than other people. Even in our conversations, the way we say things, we can accidentally make people feel as though they are less than. And that is not God's plan or his will. And we have to quickly repent for the way that we say things. But listen, being self-righteous also causes us to point the finger at others. Even the sin or the things that God reveals to our life, we uh, in self-righteousness, find ourselves pointing the finger at others. And so we often have ungrateful hearts. We hold hurt and unforgiveness in our hearts. We hold grudges. We love pleasure. And we love to act religious in order to impress other people. <laughs> Ouch, right? Those things are painful. But listen, as God is drawing us closer to him, we got to be real about this stuff. We got to be able to look and see, is this actually working? Is his word working in our life? Or are we overlooking some of these things? And then here's the one that I think is easy for a lot of us to fall into, is living in constant self-pity. Right? Maybe we have, uh, we have found ourselves living in a, in a way that is not pure according to the word of God. And it doesn't line up with God's morals. And so what we find is that we just live under the shame of that. Right? And so we find ourselves living in self-pity. And what does that does? It causes us to be uh, critical and bitter and angry and unforgiving and arrogant and judgmental of others. When we live under that self-pity. So if we could just take inventory today and say, where am I really at? Because this lure of those kind of things from uh, our culture and the things that we naturally are natural inward bent towards these things, it causes us then, if we don't deal with it then, something happens inside of us and it becomes a drive to live up to the world's standards, live up to the world's definition of what success is, or to live up to the promises of the culture around us. We desire it. 
Our book says this, the insatiable desire for approval, power over others, control over others. We always crave more. Listen, if you've been on any of the social media lately or maybe even TV, there, there are ads everywhere about things that will help you do life better. You do you better. You find your own way. You find your own path. In fact, our whole culture around us, our lives revolve around whatever is most important to us. And just look at the different ads you've been clicking on on Instagram. It'll, when I look at them, it tells me what's most important to me, what I'm driving for. And if I allow that thing to continue to, uh, to, to continue to, to to, to, to brew inside of my heart, it becomes addicting. Because guess what? Sin is addicting. Immorality is, is addicting. And we're not, a lot of times we use the word morality and we think it's only just about sex. <laughs> but the reality is living morally pure is making good judgments, living right according to God. And that is where we're starting from. This is the basis that we're starting from. We organize many times then around what's the most important to us. We organize our life around it. We organize getting it. We uh, we organize our time and our money to get anything and we see nothing holding us back other than what's important to us and we actually feel a strong justification for it. Why? Because others applaud it when we get it and it, it, it causes us to actually see that we have bought into this idea of living for myself rather than living for Jesus and this is the battle. This is the fight that we're in because that drive sooner or later it causes us to harm those around us because we are striving so strongly after trying to accomplish certain goals that we even come up with coping ways to deal with the, um, to deal with the chaos. And it becomes a lifestyle for us. We give up the fight and we give into the lure and then we begin to build our lives around ways to get the it that we're after because it's highly addictive people and this is what the enemy is trying to get us locked into is this lifestyle of not being able to get through or get past our sin and so when we look at these things in our life what do we do about this was there is there even something we can do and uh, there's two responses in our heart that we can find and maybe as we look into these things you've probably heard them before but today as we look at them I just want us to evaluate where are we really at when it comes to facing things that God reveals to us are not right What's our response? Because there's two responses that normally come. We either feel guilt or shame. And let's go into those just a little bit. Guilt is like conviction. It's godly sorrow. And it's feeling bad about something that you've done, but feeling bad about something that you've done is not wrong. Many times in the church, we, we, wanna, we wanna get away from guilt. We don't wanna ever feel guilty. We, wanna, we, we don't ever wanna feel that, that thing, but that's the weight of God's spirit actually wakening us up. We have to understand what sin is before we can become awakened to it. The Bible says that, that the law is not even worth anything unless God's spirit comes and shines a light and shows us that there's hope and that there's something wrong with what we're, we're going through. And so it's God's wake up call for us to confess our sin and come closer to him. And it releases joy and power and the restoration power of Jesus in our life. And it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so when we feel guilty, there's a conviction of his spirit that says, listen, I love you. I love you right where you're at. I'm not angry with you. I'm not mad at you, but I'm going to reveal this to you. As a parent, this is something that I often do is I will share something with my kids. And man, sometimes I feel bad for making my kids feel guilty. But if I never share with them what the truth is and where they've, where they've maybe took a wrong step, someday in their future, they won't be able to walk it out. 
They won't be able to walk. And so that's what God is doing with us as a loving father. He's basically just saying, look, I'm not trying to tell you that you're a bad person. I'm actually trying to help you so that in your future you can walk this thing out by God's spirit. The next thing that most of us fall into, um, we, either, we either look at the conviction of God or we look at shame and condemnation. And man, we have all been there. We've been caught under this condemnation. We've been caught under what the Bible calls worldly sorrow. And it's much darker, people. It's really dark on the inside. And it concludes that not only did we do something bad, but we actually are bad ourselves. How many of you ever been there before? Yeah, you, you felt bad about something that you didn't uh, do right. And so what happens is we conclude that everything about us is wrong and that God doesn't love us anymore. And shame destroys our soul and it pushes us farther from God. And it actually is a temporary fix because what happens is when it pushes us farther from God, we actually find ourselves feeling like there's nothing we can do. And so we get a temporary high from the sin that we're in and we go back to it. And we're in this culture. We're in it. We're not, we're not we're not of it. But God says that many times that when we are, um, when we're, when we're striving to run after God, sometimes we not only get caught in the culture, but we, we get caught being of the culture and running into those things. And so we've admit, we've moved away as a culture from ever even admitting that we're wrong. And what we're looking at today is we have to have this, um, this, this, awakening in our spirits, from God's spirit, to say, listen, I want to convict you, but I don't want to condemn you. I need to awaken something inside of you so that you can actually admit what you're going through and what you did was wrong. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 8 through 10, and this is Paul writing, and this is, I haven't necessarily always used this verse, or maybe even heard it used in a sermon, but I love it, and so let's look at it when it comes to condemnation and worldly sorrow or conviction and godly sorrow. It says, Paul's writing to um, the people in his church, and just take this as though I'm kind of talking to you. It says, even if I caused you sorrow in my letter, I don't regret it. <laughs> it says, though I did regret it a little bit, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Because I'm happy now because you were made sorry, because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, not so that you were harmed in us by any way, because godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, that leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Listen, our, our hope and our plan is for us to live a life without regret. Live a life where we have this conviction from the Holy Spirit that leads us to godly repenting and godly admitting it and saying, God, I need your help. And guess what? that does, it helps us live a life with no regret. And so I want to give you a few calls to action here, some things that we can do in our life to actually help us live under the umbrella of God. We want to honor God with our lives and go to God when we fail. Honor God with our life and go to God when we fail. Now, I'm going to bring back this umbrella for a second. Because as we, as we look at the word of God, as we look at what to do about this, this conviction or the shame that we have, we find that we can live under and, uh, and, and without the umbrella. Have you ever been caught in a rainstorm? And I was with my daughter a few weeks ago and we were trying to walk through the neighborhood and we had a really old umbrella. It wasn't this one. It was a tiny umbrella. In fact, a piece of it was broken. How many have ever done that? Or you get caught in a windstorm and your umbrella goes inside out. And as we're walking, there is rain coming from all sides. And we actually were wet. It's like you're walking and you've only got half of your body covered. I think many times as Christians, we find ourselves living without the complete covering of God. There's certain areas of our life where we're covered by God, but other areas where we're intentionally or even unintentionally sometimes leaving them uncovered. And so if we don't have the foundation of the word of God and the covering of his mercy and his grace, we can find ourselves completely drenched 
by the enemy and completely drenched by the sin in our life. And so how do we get out of this place of, of feeling guilty? How do we get out of this place of regret in the areas uh, of morality and getting straight with God, getting right with God? Now listen, again, we're using this word interchangeably guilt because that's kind of what our book is saying. We're not trying to live under guilt, but we are trying to live under the, the, the drawing of his spirit. And we're not trying to live under condemnation, but he illuminates us when we feel guilty. We immediately, when we feel guilty, it's our awakening to run to God. And the first thing that we can do about it is we confess our sin. We as a culture are not good at admitting when we've done something wrong. I know for me, it is so hard. I hate it. I hate saying I was wrong. I hate it when I get into that moment with Pastor John John and we're having an argument and you know, most of the time I'm right, but there are times when I'm wrong and I go in and I am stubborn and I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. Maybe you are that way and my husband's amening me in the room and you better be quick. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but listen, there are, there are things that we do that same thing in our walk with God where we get really self-righteous and frustrated and arrogant. And we're like, I don't want you to tell me anything is wrong. But if we can't admit it, then we can never confess it. We can never be healed. We can never be healed in our soul. And this is what the book says. It says a disciple is committed to the regular practice of confessing sin. Regular practice of confessing our morally wrong behavior because we're looking at the word of God and it's shining a light in our, in our hearts and our minds and it's saying, listen, there's more to this than just what you feel, than just what you imagine. God is wanting to show us some areas in our life that we can actually be reminded of his forgiveness. If you never need a savior, are you actually living life as a disciple? If we never need God, honestly, every day, I was, uh, I was saved and grew up in a Christian home and saved when I was four. Imagine that. And so I grew up believing even at times that there wasn't a lot of sin in my life. Although I would confess for little lies and different things, it didn't feel that big because as a, as a, as a culture, we weigh out sin and we decide one sin is greater than another. God never does that. Just so we understand Lying is just as bad as sexual immorality, according to God, okay? If we were to wait, God doesn't have a check and balance on those sin. The Bible does say that our sexual sin, it actually is a sin against ourself, and so it weighs heavier on us, and that's why we feel it heavier. But here's the thing. God is not looking at us and condemning us for what we're walking through. He's saying, look, if you just confess it to me, if you look at the word of God and see what it really says, there can be a light that comes. Listen, if we don't admit it, we can't quit it. If you were to go into any, if you were to go into any uh, recovery system, that's the first thing you learn. You have to admit it first. If you don't admit it, if you don't recognize it, you will never be able to stop that pattern in your life. If you don't admit it, you cannot quit it. And we must, because listen, this uh, confession that places us under the umbrella of God, it's already ours. All we have to do is pick it up. We understand Jesus already forgave us on the cross, but by our confession, we make him Lord again. Bible says if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. What do you need to be saved from today? It's not just one time at the cross that we give our hearts to Jesus. It's every day. Every day I need a savior from those bad attitudes. Every day I need a savior from my critical thinking. Every day I need a savior from arguing with my husband. Right? Real talk. Every day I need, every day I need a savior that actually will stop me in my tracks and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Listen, it shouldn't surprise us when the Holy Spirit reveals to us that we've sinned. As Christians, sometimes we get surprised. We get surprised by, um, by even uh, us feeling that, that guilt at all. 
And so what we find is that we desperately need God and we don't earn it. But by our confession, we're able to make room for the Holy Spirit to move in our life. We're able to make room for us to be able to quit it. And so disciples are committed to living in the light of God's truth and his grace. And our hearts and our relationships and our choices need to be adjusted sometimes. We need to have the adjustment of his spirit. And that's really, really powerful because if we don't, the Bible says that only the humble <laughs> will see God. We want to hear God. We want to hear his voice. We want to hear what he's saying, but we have to get rid of that selfish side of us, that natural bent towards selfishness. The Bible actually talks about our selfishness and our pride being the very root of all sin. So that's why we're talking about this today is the very moment that we put ourselves first. The moment that we choose our own way of doing things, that's where sin starts. Remember, sin starts in the mind, but purity starts in the mind as well. And we're wanting to live morally pure. You don't have to do it on your own. We have the covering of God's spirit. So we must confess it. Confetti? Confetti? We must confess it. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's a quick test of this. Are you actually teachable? powerful. Who can actually speak into your life? Does the word of God tell you what, mor what is morally correct or does the culture around you tell you what's morally correct? That's just an obvious thing. What are we allowing? Who is speaking into our heart and our mind? The next thing that we can do after we confess is to find a friend. And these two go hand in hand because there's a scripture in the Bible that says, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. I love this idea. It's not that you need to go out, go around telling everybody your sin, but there is one or two people that actually love God enough that can be like an older brother or sister in your life that can call you out. How many of you have ever had somebody in your life that was close enough that you allowed to tell you if that outfit didn't look good on you? Or you allowed to tell you that you had something in your teeth? Or you allowed, now listen, I personally get mad when that happens. I don't want anybody to call me out. But the truth is, it's better for me when it does happen because there's less embarrassment. There's even less tripping up on myself. <laughs> and my husband's amening me really hard. If you were in the room, you need to get here on Easter, people. But listen, it's fun times in God's presence. When we actually have a friend, it's iron sharpens iron. Sometimes we don't love it, but we need it for us to be sharp, for us to be on point, for us to be right with God. It's important for us to have people in our life because listen, this is counterculture to what the world is telling us. It's the counterculture message to individualism. It's counterculture to what we would naturally find doing things on our own because independence is a huge goal. Listen, getting independent financially, a lot of part of independence is good, but independence alone will actually trip you up because we have to have this, this growing in God and growing in our natural world with Jesus. That's, that's the key here is saying, I need to have a friend in my life that can call me out to let me know if there's too much selfishness. We don't call selfishness out in our own life, people. That just doesn't happen. We need somebody else in our life that shows us where we need those things. We need, we need people in our life. We are better together. In fact, for us to grow, we have to have godly Christian people. You can have an unsaved friend all day. You can have people, and, and what am I talking about? I'm not trying to condemn people that, that, that don't know God, but what I'm saying is for you to live morally pure according to the word of God, you have to find people in your life that believe the same thing as you for them to call you out. Because if you're only around people that, 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 that won't call you out or don't believe, 
uh, what you believe, they won't call you out. In fact, they'll agree with you. And that's where we get comfortable as Christians many times is we surround ourselves with people that don't actually call us out. And then we find ourselves, why did I get caught in this? Well, the truth is we don't have enough people around us. I think the most beautiful and precious thing is to find people in your life that are not living morally pure according to the Bible and love on them and care for them and spend time with them. So we should have friends around us that don't know God, but we need to have more friends with us that will call us out. We need to be making sure that people, New Testament leave it living itself shows the importance of Christian relationships because listen, we need brothers and sisters. If you're part of the body of Christ, there are brothers and sisters in Christ and it's beautiful. You're adopted into a family already. He loves you. He cares for you. So listen, the question for you today is who is discipling you? Are you in a small group? If you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you, join one of our care groups and we're working together as a church to do what we call one-to-one -one, where there's somebody in our life that we're allowing to speak truth into us, to show us life-on-life -life conversations, real talk. Proverbs 11:14 says, without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. 1 Corinthians 15:33 says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Your friends matter. You will drift in the direction of those closest to you. Listen, we need to surround ourselves with the closest people to us being those that would help us go towards God because we naturally in our inward bent will drift toward the closest people to us. So who is speaking into your life? We need to have friends around us because we're not powerless against our, or because we're powerless against our sin ourselves. And so what causes our heart to drift away from God? This is the question that we have. The last thing I wanna leave you with today that you can aggressively do to make sure that you're, you're morally right with God is to protect your own heart. You have this ability to take up this umbrella and say, God, I'm going to choose to live under what you what, what you say. I'm going to choose to find friends that will call me out when I'm being stupid. Who has it that can tell you that what your decision is is not right? Is there anybody? Stop thinking um, uh, that you can do it on your own. We need somebody that will tell us, stop thinking about that sin. Stop watching that. Somebody that we can confess to. Listen, there are statistics out there that say that 70% of all Christian guys actually listen and watch porn. And there's a statistic that says that all 30% uh, of women and it's even growing are caught in that as well there are real things that we're dealing with that's one of the darker ones but there are so many things that we can get easily caught into and you don't have to face this alone there's not condemnation for you but if you can find a friend where you can confess and then begin to learn and grab some tools to guard your own heart you can make it out of this and live morally pure before God because we are not powerless against the sin in our lives we can aggressively protect our own heart our minds and our habits and we can get rid of, we can delete, we can, we can stop the subscription to anything that draws our heart away from God. Look at your own phone, look at where you go, look at what draws you in your life, look at where you spend your time, where you spend your energy. Those are the things that you are either protecting your heart with or those are the things that are causing you to drift farther away from God. And this is the beautiful privilege that we have in Jesus is to come under his covering and to find that he gives us tools to be able to protect our own heart. What is it? Can we recognize those things that cause us to drift from God? Do, are we actually putting up guards against people, places, and websites that cause us to drift from God? We can cancel that subscription today. And God is challenging us. What inflames the lust and the lure and the desire and the lifestyle that you've given yourself to that maybe has caused you to feel like you're far from God?
This is not God wanting to condemn you, but he's wanting to show you his grace and his mercy and his love is enough for you. He's wanting to help you get a reboot, press restart on that computer, press restart on your phone and cause it to work again. Delete some apps that are slowing you down. Delete some things in your life that are causing you to drift away from God. Because listen, we want to honor God with our minds and with our hearts. And we can't stop every single simple thought that comes our way, but we can choose what we do with it. When the thought comes, the Bible says that we can take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. That means that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we recognize those words and those things in our life. And um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but if you've ever done a meditation or a sleep app, one of the first things they say is recognize those thoughts that come your way and just let it pass. That's a scriptural thing. We actually can let thoughts pass from our mind. We don't have to think on them and let them take root in our life because those things... Um, when we, when we grab a hold of those things, we're not, we're not fighting at all. We have this thing the Bible calls spiritual warfare. We can fight this thing. We can put a guard over our heart because Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for it determines the course of your life. We can confess our sin. We can find a friend. We can find a mentor, somebody to do life with. And we can live a life that is aggressively protecting our own hearts and living for God. So what does this look like for us then? As we close out today, I want to leave you with hope. I want to leave you with, with, with grace because, listen, we can honor God with our lives and we can go to God when we fail. It is possible because he gives us his spirit. So a disciple, it's not a self-improvement program. This is not a way for you to impress others. It's the revelation of his love, his mercy, and his grace in our life. It's becoming awestruck and overwhelmed by how much he cares for us right in the middle of our situations, his love, his adoption, his redemption. Being a disciple, it's a delight and it's also a fight. We gotta pick up our weapons of warfare and we need to fight against those thoughts and those addictions and those things. But living for God looks like living for his kingdom. My purposes, my plans, my agenda, they align with his word. And so we need to get under the umbrella one more time. You're never going to look at an umbrella the same. You need to get under the umbrella of God's mercy and his grace today. Be right with God, living morally pure. So here's a couple of questions just to leave you with today as a way. How much are you committed to honoring God with a pure life? How much am I committed in my thoughts, in my actions, in my words? How much am I committed to honoring God in this way? And what needs to change in my life? What needs to change in your life today? So powerful, we have to work on these things and let them work in our life because we can honor God with our life and we can go to God when we fail. We can actively make choices to honor God with every part of every part of us. And whenever we confess, when we fail, we can go to God and we can reorient our lives back to his purposes and back to his love. And so today, I want to ask you, have you been walking in condemnation or have you been walking in the conviction of his spirit? And today, we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to just reveal anything in our life. And maybe you joined with us for the first time and you've never, you've never, uh, you've never even heard a message like this before. You didn't know Jesus died for your sin, for the, for the way for you to live a life under his covering and under his blessing. And today we're gonna pray that God would come and that he would change our lives to live according to what his word says. Pray with me today. 
Father, I thank you so much that your word is active and living and that it actually adjusts us all in the right ways. And so, Father, today we ask you, Lord, God, any areas that we failed in, God, we repent right now. We ask you to forgive us of our sins. Jesus, we receive your love and your mercy, and we believe, Jesus, what you did for us on the cross was enough. And so, God, we thank you for your forgiveness today. Right now, if there is any shame or condemnation in Jesus' name, we break that off of you right now, and we thank you even now, God, that your conviction comes to bring us peace and life and hope, even in your presence tonight, even in every room, even in every car, wherever people are at, I thank you right now that your spirit comes to, to, to bring forgiveness and peace and mercy. And so, Father, we thank you that you're with us, and we thank you, God, God, that you are for us. And so today, God, we won't hold on to those things that would cause us to live in a way that would not please you. Today, we choose to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you joined with us and uh, maybe it's your first time, we'd love for you to uh, click that connect button. Or maybe you prayed that prayer with me today, asking God to forgive you of your sins. We want to help you continue on your journey. And there's a, there's a button or you can go to our website. If you're with us live, there's a button that you can push that says, I, you know, I've just joined and I've just prayed that prayer today. But you can join online with us at citylifesf.com. And there's many ways we want to help you in your journey. Today, I hope that you were encouraged. I hope that you heard God speak to you as I heard God speak to me in many powerful ways. And um, I'm so excited. Again, mark your calendars for Easter. And uh, we are going to throw it back to Marquise in the, in the booth there. Great having you with us today. We love you guys. I can't wait to see you again soon.